The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Our weekday podcast is brought to you by Booper, supporting the health of millions of Australians. Because life happens. Find out more at booper.com.au. Good morning, I'm Claire Kimball. And I'm Kate Watson. It's Thursday the 13th of August. In your Squiz today, Joe Biden's running mate, why a pay rise is hard to come by, some news out of archaeology circles, and the price of love. This is your Squiz today. Starting with news that broke just after we put out yesterday's podcast. Claire, we hate it when that <laughs> happens. Joe Biden, the Democratic candidate running for US president this November, has named his running mate. Let's learn a bit about Kamala Harris this morning. Over to you, Claire. She's a senator from California. She ran for that Democratic presidential position but bowed out of that race last year. But on her personal life, she is the daughter of immigrants. Her mum is Indian. She was a cancer researcher and civil rights activist. Her father is from Jamaica and an academic. And she associates very closely with both her Indian and black roots. Uh, she's married to a lawyer and is a stepmother to two kids in their 20s. She's a lawyer herself, and as far as her political career, she worked her way up the Democrats' ranks in California, eventually becoming Attorney General. And she's known as a tough law enforcer. It's an interesting point when it comes to the Trump campaign and how they're going to deal with that. Law and order, of course, is a very big issue at the moment. So she's known as being tough on law and order. So it's difficult for them to paint her then as this sort of raging lefty, which they're trying to do. And when you say they, Donald Trump responded to the news yesterday saying she's a dangerous lefty who's one of the meanest, most horrible people in the US Senate. To COVID-19 and Victoria registered a new record death toll yesterday, 21 deaths. There were 410 new cases, which was a rise on the previous couple of days numbers. Claire Premier Daniel Andrews says he's confident the curve is flattening though. When you look at some of the averages that they put up in these graphs, uh, it does look like that curve is coming back down. Of course, the fingers are well and truly crossed that that continues, particularly that this death rate starts to come down. And over in New Zealand, authorities are still baffled as to how four members of a family contracted COVID-19. Because New Zealand had had 102 days without any locally transmitted cases, it really is a mystery. One theory that's doing the rounds is that it entered the country via refrigerated freight. One of those people who's infected worked at a cold storage facility. Sounds a bit crazy, but there is evidence that COVID-19 can live on refrigerated goods. To wages growth, and if you were hoping for a pay rise, it's slim pickings at the moment. Yeah, almost impossible that anyone's going to get a pay bump at the moment. For the first time on record, wages went backwards in the April to June quarter. If you're in the private sector, they went backwards 0.1%, up a little bit in the public sector, uh, which of course has a, a tradition of sticking to pay increases when they're due uh, for the first time, wages fell across many industries, particularly looking at professional services, construction and real estate. And you only really have to look at the media coverage of the last few months to know that there's been big pay cuts, particularly across high paid executives in those sectors. Seems obvious to say, but of course, most of this is down to the impacts of the coronavirus pandemic. 
Over in the UK, they are, along with France, working on new measures to stop migrants from crossing the English Channel. Apparently, there's been a spike in those making the journey by boat. And particularly at the moment, it's summer there, of course, and the conditions are said to be pretty good, which has seen that spike. The UK is in talks with France about how they can deal with that situation. Uh, France, a few days ago, said that it needed more funding from the UK if they're to deploy uh, resources to try and prevent those migrants from leaving their shores. The UK is in talks with the Navy. That's getting a lot of attention uh, in the UK media at the moment. Many of those migrants are from war-torn countries like Yemen, currently going through the worst humanitarian disaster in the world. We did a squeeze shortcut on that last week. If you're keen to understand the civil war there a little bit better. Back here, an archaeologist claimed to have found evidence of Indigenous people here in Australia cultivating bananas. Researchers say it further disputes claims that Indigenous Australians were only hunter-gatherers. We're talking about a site that's located on an island in the Western Torres Strait. It's right at the top of Australia and was long thought that people north of that border were cultivators, but people south, so our Indigenous population up there uh, way back in the day were more, as you say, of that hunter-gatherer type. Uh, The fact that they cultivated agriculture is significant because it's a bit of a myth that Indigenous Australians only did that hunting and gathering. Uh, which is an argument that's been used by some to undermine their claims to traditional lands. When you say way back in the day, we're talking over 2,000 years ago. Forbes has released their highest paid actors list of 2020. Dwayne The Rock Johnson came out on top for the second year in a row, Claire. A very cool US $87.5 million. $87.5 million for the year. And I know he's very popular. It's, he's not particularly my cup of tea, but uh, he's also got a fitness clothing line. He's a really big deal and has had a cracking year. Uh, Johnson beat out Ryan Reynolds. He came in at $71.5 million. Mark Wahlberg at $58 million. And even Ben Affleck is up there in the earning stakes. I think they've got pretty good agents and financial advisors, those guys. Well, Adam Sandler was the surprise for me. Yeah, he did a big deal with Netflix uh, over four films and that was worth $250 million. So that money just keeps on trickling through for him. For those wondering, the highest paid actress list will be out next month. A message now from our podcast partner, Uber. It's no secret that the way we dine out has changed somewhat this year. Stay listening at the end of the podcast where we chat with General Manager of Uber Eats, Matt Denman, about how Uber Eats has had to adapt to those changes, what they're doing to support local Aussie restaurants, and why very soon you may be ordering more than just dinner using Uber Eats. If you're over 30, Claire, and looking for love on Tinder Plus, you might be paying more for it. It's a bit of a pricing strategy by Mm. Tinder and Choice has done a bit of analysis on it. I didn't know that that was in their remit, but dating services are things that we pay for just like anything else, I guess. But yeah, you're right. If you're urban and straight and over 50 as a male, uh, or if you're a female aged over 30, you're going to be paying a lot more than the younger people that are in that premium uh, service pool that they charge for. How much more are we talking? 
Oh, like five times more. So, yeah, significantly yeah. more when it comes to, I guess, who they're sort of curating that they want active on their apps. Choice has asked the consumer watchdog, the ACCC, to try and get to the bottom of this one. Finally, the email subject line, Claire, what are we singing today? Playlists for these presidential candidates are quite a thing in the US. They have their walk-on tunes that lots of people put lots of analysis into about what they mean and who they are. But Kamala Harris is known as having one of the best playlists of the uh, election process so far. And her favourite song is a Mary J. Blige song, Work That. And the lyric I've got is, work your thing out, which is what she seems to be doing at the moment. There you go. That's a good water cooler topic. (laughs) US president presidential election candidates song choices there we go (laughs) it's a thing (laughs) it's a whole thing before we go we have a squeeze shortcut out today on vaccines claire something we're all holding out hope for at the moment It really is being billed as the thing that's going to get life back on track, but there's lots of challenges with that and we've had a look at it. Very interesting. Also, the resistance that many, particularly in the US, have towards a vaccine if one for COVID-19 were to be developed. So there's the challenge of developing one and then there's the challenge of convincing people to take it. We talk about that in the shortcut also. A link to that is in your episode notes and we'll chat to you tomorrow. The Squeeze is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Sign up at thesqueeze.com.au. Matt Denman is the General Manager of Uber Eats in Australia and New Zealand. He joins us today to talk about the changes Uber Eats has made to address the challenges posed by COVID-19. Matt, thanks for joining us. Hi, Kate. Thanks for having me. You've been with Uber for six years now, like it is for most of us. I expect 2020 has been like none other. Of course, with lockdowns, we haven't been dining out in the same way that we used to, which has meant delivery is so much more important for restaurants. What does this all mean and what has it meant for Uber Eats? That, that, that means a few things for us. Um, the first one is, you know, we've had to look at how we can kind of support directly restaurants. And so we did a bunch of things. We um, removed activation fees for, for the hundreds of new restaurants coming onto the platform. We introduced daily payments to improve cash flow. Really importantly, we put a ceiling on the commission that we, we charge to restaurants and we've done that uh, permanently to, to, to assist with their profitability. And then at the same time through this period and particularly for sort of local restaurants, we've invested a lot of money in you know helping them generate demand. So we rolled out a multi-million dollar relief fund that actually gave restaurants access to that fund to direct um, marketing in-app to drive demand to their restaurant. At the same time, we sort of rolled out kind of, you know, brand and digital campaigns to actually encourage eaters to support their local restaurants. And we saw, you know, really huge um, and generous response to all of that from, from Aussies looking to support, you know, their favorite local restaurants in their, in their time of need. That is one of the really encouraging things to come out of all of this. You found that Australians are really doing their bit to support local businesses. Totally. And I think that, you know, speaks a lot to certainly, you know, the Australian sort of culture and attitudes towards, um, you know, the local businesses that they that they love so much. And, and certainly for us, it's about how do we use our platform uh, to, to enable these businesses to respond to the situation through this period. And just as an example, in Melbourne, we've seen a, a 10x 
growth in the number of pickup orders um, since January. So we'll continue to respond to all of this um, as the situation changes. Your app technicians must be working in overdrive at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> of course, uh, safety is something that's front of mind for, for everyone. And for you, not it's not only about your customers, but also your delivery partners. How have you been addressing those concerns? Uh, initially, the the first thing we did was actually roll out um, you know an industry-leading compensation package, which actually meant that um, if a delivery partner had to, you know, isolate, that they could actually earn um, their average earnings through that period, so that they could, um, you know, take the time they needed. At the same time, we rolled out a product which, you know, any of our users will have seen, which actually enables contactless delivery. Um, and in the same in the same vein, we've uh, re- we have been reimbursing since March uh, delivery partners for hand sanitizer. And just recently, with the sort of introduction of the mask requirement in Melbourne, we've been shipping uh, masks to all of our delivery partners, um, you know, up near a million masks in total. So we've been doing all of that at, at no cost um, to delivery partners um, to help to help keep them, you know, and the community uh, safe. And Matt, something like this means that not only do we need food delivered, but we also need groceries delivered. We can't go out and, and buy things in the way that we used to. How's Uber Eats responding to this change? We formed the view, and I think it's pretty clear that, you know, the, the consumer behaviour has changed. Yeah. And, you know, delivery has been growing um, across all categories uh, for years now, but we believe this this has accelerated it and that's here to stay. In, in the next couple of months, you will see more choice and selection on our platform, whether it's groceries from your local supermarket, whether it's pharmaceutical products. We've just recently um, announced a partnership with Caltex to sort of sell sort of over-the-counter medications like Panadol, etc. It could be any number of local retailers uh, in your area. So we believe that our platform can you know, power local commerce. You've already announced partnerships with Pet Barn and Katmandu where you can just jump onto their website, order what you like and Uber Eats will deliver it. Seems, Matt, anything you want is just a click away. It's, it's getting closer and closer, okay? That's for sure. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much. This interview is brought to you by our podcast partner, Uber Eats. You can download the app today and earn rewards points on every Uber ride and every Uber Eats order. message now from our podcast partner, BHP. The steel made from iron ore plays an important role in providing the production of our energy infrastructure, from wind turbines to power poles. So cutting carbon emissions in iron ore production is key. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power its port facilities at Port Headland. It's happening now at BHP.